Well, good morning. Good morning. Good. That was a little bit louder than first service. Excellent. Well, happy Mother's Day. Uh, I want to say again a warm welcome to all the moms. My mom is in here today. Can everyone just give a clap for my mom for giving birth to me? Thank you. I uh, love you, Mom. Uh, again, we just want to say uh, welcome. We're glad that you all are, all are here. Um, we do know, though, that Mother's Day can be a tough day for a lot of people. Uh, maybe you've lost your mom recently. Maybe it's been a while. Uh, take one of these bouquets home, flowers just in remembrance of your mom. Maybe you've wanted to become a mom for a long time, and it hasn't happened yet. Uh, we want to acknowledge that and know that that's hard. Maybe you're a mom and you just feel like you don't add up, you, you, you can't compare with the Instagram feeds of your friends and, and, and th- them as moms. We want you to know that uh, we acknowledge that and we want you to reject that lie. Uh, maybe there are some here who have, you've lost your mom and you are feeling a weight of guilt that your relationship with your mom wasn't where you'd like it to be uh, when she passed away. And we want you to know that you can be relieved from that shame and guilt and to reject that lie from the devil that wants you to live in shame. Uh, Would you join me in prayer? And then we're going to dive into um, our text this morning. Uh, We're getting into Luke chapter 8. Let's pray. God, we thank you uh, for the chance to be here today. We thank you for all the moms in our lives and how uh, they reflect uh, you. Uh, they, They reflect your love, generosity, caring, nature. And God, we just uh, thank you that you are here this morning with us. Open our hearts, open our minds. In your name we pray, amen. Uh, We're continuing this series, Jesus and We. Uh, Here at Mosaic, we do something a little different uh, than uh, most churches. We like to walk through books of the Bible. Uh, Last year, we went through the book of Genesis uh, and the book of Ephesians. And uh, and then this year, we're walking our way through the book of Luke. But instead of just calling it the book of Luke, for, you know, a year or 18 months or however long we're going to be in Luke, we kind of divide it up into little series. And so we're in this series called Jesus and We. What does Jesus do and how do we partner with him to accomplish what he wants to do in this world? And today we're looking that Jesus is our healer, that Jesus heals. Last week we talked about Jesus rescues. And the week before that, that Jesus welcomes doubters. We're working our way through the book of Luke and we are finding ourselves in chapter 8. And I think this is a perfect uh, text for Mother's Day. And so I'm really excited how this all lined up. And we're going to see Jesus heal a woman and a girl. Uh, and if you have your Bibles this morning, I want to encourage you to turn with me to uh, Luke chapter 8. Uh, Sean, back there, do you know how to turn off the house lights? Make sure those are up all the way so people can read their Bibles. This is the one that labeled house. There you go. Um, and as you're turning there, we're going to see that Jesus absolutely transforms the lives of an older woman and a younger girl as he loves and serves both exceedingly well. Jesus loved and served women. And here at Mosaic, we want to love and serve women as well. Amen? Amen. Well, let's just unpack kind of what Jesus' life has been like lately. We've been following Jesus. And uh, Jesus has had these large crowds coming to him. Uh, He's been teaching, healing, performing miracles. And last week we saw that he needed a break. And so he asked one of his buddies, like, hey, can I go out in your boat? We'll take a little break. I can hang out in your boat. Which, by the way, I think that's just an amazing way to bless your spiritual leader or pastor is taking them out on your boat. Hint, hint. Jesus didn't own a boat, and uh, his friends did. Amen. <laughs> I don't own a boat. Uh, catching on. Uh, but as they row across the Sea of Galilee, Jesus is so exhausted from all the ministry, he falls asleep in the boat. Storm comes on. He's still sleeping. The disciples are freaked out. They wake him up. We're going to die. He calms the storm, commands creation to obey him. 
They row across to the other side. So Jesus, he's tired on his day off. He gets to the other side. And his welcoming committee on the other side of the beach, a crazy, demon-possessed, naked guy who lives in a graveyard. That's who greets Jesus. We talked about that last week. So Jesus casts the demons out of him, heals him, restores him to his right mind, gives him a mission. Go tell everyone what God has done in your life. So they get back in the boat. They row back. And Jesus is greeted by a crowd of needy people who are anxiously waiting for him. And we're going to see that Jesus just absolutely uh, is unbelievable in his outpouring of love and affection and service for people. He's an amazing example for us. Well, let's dive in now to uh, Luke chapter 8, verse 40. Now, when Jesus returned back across the, the lake, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue. And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house. Now, in our culture, grown men don't do this, and in their culture, they really didn't. Guys, we don't just fall down at other guys' feet and beg them to do something. We don't say, would you please, please come to my house, especially if you're a leader in your community. But this man is humble. He is desperate, and he's begging Jesus to leave the crowds and come to his house. Why? What would cause this grown man to fall at Jesus' feet and beg him to come into his house. Verse 42. For he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. His only child. We don't know if he and his wife had a bunch of miscarriages or infertility or what happened. In this culture, people would like to have lots of kids, but for whatever reason, God had only blessed him with one child, a daughter. And this man... I know he loves his only daughter like I love my only daughter, Rebecca, who's four. And he's doing everything he can to help his little girl be healed. And so he tries everything, but nothing is working. So he leaves his little girl behind with mom when he hears that Jesus is in town. And he runs to Jesus and he throws himself at Jesus' feet and desperately begs Jesus to come and heal his daughter. This is a man who will do anything to see his little girl get better. And what's so beautiful is that Jesus sees this man and that Jesus loves this man's little girl even more than this man could possibly love her. And so he agrees and, and he starts to head to Jairus' house. So he's like, yeah, come on, let's go to your house. But as they're walking, we're going to see they get interrupted. And I want you to keep this picture of kind of just kind of put him right over here. This anxious dad, one little girl, and he's, he's anxious and he's concerned because his one little girl is dying and he's standing there by Jesus when they get interrupted so just keep that in your mind this anxious dad just kind of standing there as Jesus went the people pressed around him and there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years this woman had chronic bleeding and possibly a uterine hemorrhage for 12 years as long as Jairus's little daughter had been alive 12 years This woman had been suffering, had been bleeding 12 years of suffering. Can you imagine? And though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. We've talked that our author, Luke, is a physician. He's a doctor. Dr. Luke gives us his clinical diagnosis that no doctor has been able to help her. And this woman is desperate and she's destitute. She's desperate. She's tried everything. She's gone to different doctors. She's tried alternative therapies. She's fasted. She's prayed. She's gone to the healing center. She's tried everything. 
And that's left her destitute. So there's no health insurance in those days. She spent all her money. She's absolutely impoverished. This woman is in a horrible condition. She's desperate. She's destitute. But now she's with Jesus. She's near Jesus. And she's been in this condition for 12 years. 12 years. According to the Old Testament scriptures that had a lot to say about people who were clean and unclean, According to Leviticus 15, this would have made her ceremoniously unclean. Here's what that means, friends. No one has touched her in 12 years. No one has hugged her. No one has put a hand on her shoulder to pray for her. No one has kissed the top of her head. No one has held her hand. She's not had physical contact for 12 years. And she's isolated and lonely in her suffering. She's not allowed to go to the temple. She's not allowed to go to synagogue, which is like a church where you'd hear the word of God preach and be with the people of God. I think the only thing worse than suffering is suffering in isolation. There's no one to be with you, to talk with you, to share with you. She eats her meals by herself. She worships God by herself. She lives by herself. Additionally, Leviticus tells us that she would have been forbidden because of her condition from any marital intimacy, which means she's either... Never married, or possibly more likely, she's divorced. She has no husband. She has no children. She has no money. She has no church. She has no hope. She hears that Jesus comes to town. So she does whatever she needs to do to get to Jesus. See, because of her condition, she's not supposed to be in a crowd because anyone she accidentally touches, she would make them ceremoniously unclean. But she's desperate to get to Jesus. And so she does what she's not supposed to by kind of hiding in the crowd and forces her way to get to Jesus. Verse 44, she came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. And immediately the discharge of blood ceased. She reaches out, she touches Jesus, and she's healed. This is amazing. But what a random thing to do. Why does she reach out and touch the fringe of his garment, Luke tells us? Why does she touch the fringe of his garment? Well, back in Numbers 15 in the Old Testament scriptures, God told Moses to have the people make tassels on the corners of their garments. A blue cord is to run through each tassel. The tassels were to remind them of the commands of God. They'd have these five knots, remind them of the five books of the Torah. They were a visual reminder of how he created them to live. The Hebrew word for tassel is tzitzit. I think I have the word up there. We like to do Hebrew every once in a while. Uh, if I have some friends here, I think we might, from the south, you might look at that and be like, is that pronounced tzitzit? Uh, but it's actually tzitzit. So you can call it tzitzit if you want, but tzitzit. And the Hebrew word for corner is kanaf. The Hebrew word for corner is kanaf. So in Jesus' day, they'd have these prayer shawls. And I actually borrowed this from a friend. This is actually from Israel. I think this is beautiful. And they'd have these prayer shawls that God told them to make, and, and they'd kind of wear them like this, and you'd grab the corners. And we often forget that Jesus was actually Jewish. I know, crazy thoughts. And he would have had a prayer shawl like this. Well, the prophet Malachi predicted that the coming Messiah would rise with healing in his wings. And the word he used for wings is kanaf, the same Hebrew word for corner or edge of the garment. And the Jewish people believe that when the Messiah came, he would be special healing in his Kanaf in the tassels of his prayer shawl. Can you see as a rabbi walked 
among the people holding his garments. Could you see how they talk about him healing in his wings? And can you guys see that? Yeah, yeah, kind of. Am I the only one? I was in the mirror. I was like, that's awesome. I was like, I think I need one of these like on a normal basis. I don't know. I was like, oh, pow. I feel like Batman. I don't know. It's pretty cool. Uh, <laughs> and so these tassels were found on uh, the prayer shawls, which all the rabbis wore, including Jesus. He had these seat seats on his knaf, on the corners. So this woman who has been suffering for 12 long years comes to Jesus and she reaches out to the knaf on the, the, the edges of Jesus' prayer shawl in faith. And she's healed. So what is this woman saying by reaching out and touching the kanaf of his prayer shawl? She's saying, you're not just some rabbi, some human. You are Messiah. You are the one we've been waiting for. And in the moment, she stretches out in faith and trust that Jesus is Messiah, that he is Emmanuel, that he is God with us. He's the one we've been waiting for. With faith, she is healed. And she believes that he is the Messiah, the one who comes with healing in his wings. Isn't that awesome? Super cool. I love that visual reminder. And in that instant, her soul is healed. She becomes a worshiper of Jesus. Her body is healed and the power of God is unleashed in her life through faith. And you know that's how faith works. The power of God is unleashed in your life through faith when we trust and when we believe in Jesus. I need you to know this, that whoever you are, whatever, you can reach out to Jesus in faith and you don't make him unclean, that he infects you with his cleanness. He makes you clean and the power of God is unleashed in your life, giving you new life. And this woman is a picture of all of us who reach out to Jesus in faith, proclaiming him as Messiah, as the one we've been waiting for, as God with us, and we receive new life. There's healing in his wings that Jesus is Messiah, God with us. Amen? Amen. Verse 45, and Jesus said, I love this, who was it that touched me? He's in a crowd. They're all pressing in. Anxious father, come help me heal my daughter. Jesus, crowd around him. Someone touched me. When all denied it, Peter said, I love Peter, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. I love this about Peter. Peter has this fantastic ability to fill silence with stupidity. It's amazing. I love it. When it's a good moment not to speak, that's when Peter like, leaps into action. I love this because when I look at Peter, there's hope for me. Amen? So there's, hope, there's times when Peter should just be quiet, and instead he proceeds boldly. That's why I love Peter. And I love that Jesus puts Peter like, in charge of the disciples. Who's in charge? The guy who always ruins it. I love that. It's like, I can join this team. And if you're someone else who likes to leap in without looking, go into action, you can join the team too. There's room for you. In verse 46, Jesus is like, Peter, no. Someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. I love this picture, because Jesus is both God and man. And he heals through his divinity, but in his humanity, there's a cost when ministry goes out of us, and he acknowledges. And I think every time Jesus healed, there was a cost into his humanity. I can tell you that just in a small way, for me, Sunday afternoons, I'm, I'm absolutely wrecked. And it's not because I don't like being around people. I love being around people. It's not that I don't like uh, teaching. I love teaching. But there is this spiritual principle that when you serve others, when you give, when you pray, there's a cost. Something goes out of you. And so Jesus, he feels that in this moment. And if you are doing ministry and work, don't be surprised when you feel that, like, oh, man, I'm drained. There's something that happened here. 
And so you need your friends to take you out in their boat. That's what Jesus needed. <laughs> the Jewish scriptures had a lot to say about purity and hygiene. In a world that honestly didn't know anything about that, soap wouldn't be invented for another 1,500 years. They didn't really have running water or proper drains. So Jesus gave them a lot of commands on hygiene and, and purity. Well, Because this unclean woman touches Jesus, he, according to their laws, would have become ceremoniously unclean too. It didn't matter that the woman touched him without him knowing. He would have become unclean according to their rules nonetheless. That's partly one of the reasons the woman wants to remain hidden. She's like, I touched him. Oh, no. What's going to happen? I'm not supposed to be here and all the crowd. So she's not coming forward. When Jesus is like, who touched me? She's like, uh, uh. Verse 47. And when the woman saw she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. Anxious father, waiting. My little girl's dying. Jesus, woman, falls down, trembling. She doesn't know what Jesus is going to do in this moment. She's wondering, what is he going to do? Is he going to reject me? Is he going to publicly shame me? Have I somehow made him unclean? Am I going to get in trouble by this whole crowd for defiling a group of people? I'm not supposed to be here. Verse 48, and he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. And there's this idea behind peace of shalom in the Hebrew culture that we can't even unpack because we don't have a good English word for it. It means wholeness. It means peace with God and man. It means completeness. It means living life in purpose. And you know what's really cool? You have these four biographies of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And this is the only instance where Jesus calls someone daughter. This woman's been bleeding for 12 years. We don't know how old she is. It's possible. She's the same age as Jesus, maybe even older if Jesus is 32, 33 at this time. Why is he giving this affectionate title of daughter to this woman who's maybe older than her, maybe the same age as him? Here's what I think. This woman didn't have a gyrus. She doesn't have a dad to do what he's doing for his little girl. He doesn't have a dad. She doesn't have a dad who says, sweetheart, wait here. I'm going to go get Jesus. I'm going to beg him to come and heal my daughter that I love and adore and cherish. See, instead, she needs to take care of herself. She needs to pay her own medical bills. She needs to go on her own journey to Jesus. And she needs to risk her own well-being to meet him. Some of you ladies are blessed. You have a dad who loves Jesus, who loves you, and he's been always trying to get you and Jesus together. But some of you ladies are like this woman. You're not like Jairus' daughter. You don't have a dad like that. You don't have a dad at all, maybe. Maybe you don't even know your father, or you're ashamed of who he is. He doesn't love Jesus. He's not trying to get you and Jesus together. So the question is, maybe for you, is what hope is there? I believe Jesus would say to you, as he says to this woman, daughter, Jesus can take that fatherly place in your life. He becomes that man who gives you identity and dignity and security and protection. He becomes that man you go to in time of need, and he lovingly, affectionately cares for you. I think some of you ladies, you identify with this woman. Your life has had a lot of suffering in it. And my encouragement 
to you. It would be like this woman to reach out in faith to Jesus, have the power of God unleashed in your life, and have Jesus call you daughter. Let Jesus be a father to you. And what's so beautiful in the middle of this crowd is they point and say, hey, I know her. She's unclean. She's not supposed to be here. And they look to see what Jesus is going to do. And in the middle of that crowd, Jesus gives this woman dignity and affection. And he restores her to the congregation of people. This is a life-changing day for this woman. This is a total healing that has happened here. And everything changes for her. We like to say around here that Jesus changes everything. Jesus, in a moment, can change your whole life. See, in that moment, people can now hug her to celebrate. Can you imagine what that felt like after 12 years of not being touched? Now people can embrace you and hug you. People can lay a hand on her and pray for her. She can hold a baby. She hasn't held a baby in 12 years. Now she can serve in the nursery in her church plant. Amen? (laughs) She can lay hands on people and pray for them. She can join the prayer team. She can attend the congregation of God's people and worship as one of them. If she wants, she can get married. She can become a mom. Her whole life is radically, instantly changed and transformed as the power of God is unleashed in her through faith in Jesus. That's why she's a portrait and a picture of salvation for all of us. Does your woman go out? Does your heart go out to this woman? And what does Jesus say? Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Go live a new life. Go live to God's glory and your joy. You're restored to the community. Have peace with God. Have peace with men. Those of you who feel desperate and destitute, I'm desperate for you to receive new life through Jesus. To leave here going in peace and being called a child of God. That's her story. That Jesus heals. That Jesus Jesus cleanses. Amazing. Beautiful story. I love the story. But wait a minute. Do we forget about the dad over here? The dad of this little girl who's dying. A 12-year-old little girl whose daddy loved her with all his heart. She's on her deathbed being tended to by her mom. Jesus has been interrupted by going to her because of the needs of this woman. I thought about that this week a little bit. Jesus in this crowd filled with needs, and he has to decide who he's going to minister to, because he can only be in one place at one time. I just want to encourage you, pray for your pastors. Pray for your leaders. As we have needs, as we meet with people, as we pray, give us grace when we don't respond to emails or phone calls right away. If you're the dad like Jairus and we get interrupted from meeting with you because someone else has a need. As we do our best to follow where God leads us. But during this whole time, Jairus, the dad, has been standing there waiting for Jesus to come and heal his little girl. Can you imagine what he's feeling? His anxiousness, his desperation. He knows his little girl doesn't have much time. Verse 49. But while he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. Can you imagine? What does he feel in that moment? What kills me, that this father wasn't there to be with his daughter when she died. 
See, as a daddy, God forbid this should ever happen, you'd want to be there with your daughter in her last moments. You'd want to be there kissing your daughter on her forehead, holding her hand while you bawled your eyes out. You'd want to tell her that you loved her and you're thankful for all the years that God has given you. You'd want to tell her that she was a joy and a delight and to say your goodbyes, but he wasn't there. Not because he didn't love her, but he's trying to save her. I can just imagine Kristen, my wife, being there with our little girl, Rebecca. As Kristen is waiting and hoping and praying and watching Becca breathe her last, and I'm not there to be strong and to be there with her. And in that moment, that man's life is destroyed. It's an utter shambles. I just picture him instantly falling into the sea of despair. His only child is dead, and he wasn't there. Can you feel that, that weight? And in the midst of that sea of despair, Jesus throws in this lifeline of hope. Verse 50, but Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. I imagine him wondering, what can Jesus do? She's already dead, but he has this glimmer of hope. I don't know. Jesus says, don't fear, believe. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James, the father and mother of the child. For many years, uh, Jesus, you see this again and again, he's going to go do something and, and he leaves behind all the disciples and Peter, James, and John are the only ones to go with him. And for a long time I thought that was because they, like, they were the superstars, like they were the, the, the really spiritual ones and they're like, yeah, you come with me. And then I thought more about this, because I was a youth pastor for about 10 years. And if I'm going to, like, have, like, the 12 guys in my small group, like, hanging out in some place, like, I know I'd be like, all right, you guys sit here. Peter, James, and John, you're coming with me. Come on. <laughs> like, like, let's be real, right? Like, Peter has the habit of, like, chopping guys' ears off. Like, like you know, jumping in. Like, Jesus told, called Peter Satan. Like, I've been rebuked by Jesus, but he's never called me Satan yet. You know, and so... I don't know, I just, something to think about, that Jesus can redeem, and he even cares for the troublemakers. So if your kids are troublemakers, they're in good company. So he grabs Peter, Peter and the brothers, come on, James and John, you're coming with me. And the father and mother, verse 52, and all were weeping and mourning for her, but he said, do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, child, arise. She opens her eyes, and what's the first face she sees? Jesus' face. What's the first thing she feels? Jesus' hand. What's the first thing she hears? Jesus' voice. See, this is a picture of the resurrection of the dead for all the children of God. That when we die, those who belong to Jesus, on the other side of death, you'll see Jesus' face. You'll feel his hand in your hand. You'll hear his voice. The book of Revelation assures us that he will wipe away every tear. He'll hear the voice of Jesus, and he'll meet you on the other side. Jesus will be there on the day of resurrection in the same way he was there for this little girl. Verse 55, and her spirit returned, and she got up at once, and he directed that something should be given her to eat. I love this. She sits down and has a banquet, has a, has a meal with Jesus. And this is a foreshadowing of what's to come for all of us. At the resurrection, there's going to be a feast for the children of God. Revelation 19 calls it the wedding supper of the Lamb. That after we die, if our faith is in Jesus, if we are children of God, then one day our body and our souls will reunite 
will resurrect from the dead. Sin, suffering, death, sickness will be no more. We'll be completely and utterly forgiven and healed and cleansed. We will see Jesus' face. We will hear his voice. We will feel Jesus' touch. We'll sit down and feast with him. This is a portrait of our eternity. When we pass over, Jesus is there to welcome us, holding our hands. The first face we see. I love that. Verse 56. And her parents were amazed. But he charged them to tell no one what had happened. Now, we don't really know why Jesus tells them. Don't tell anyone about this. It may be that Jesus' primary ministry at this point was preaching and teaching. And healing and, and raising people from the dead was a secondary ministry. He didn't want that to get in the way of his preaching and teaching and telling people about the kingdom of God. And he was worried that maybe if the word got out that people would be more concerned about signs and miracles than about his teaching. We, I, I don't know. We don't really know. Well, let's go back to that first woman who comes to Jesus, who suffered for 12 long years in isolation, who was desperate, who was destitute. The relationship between Jesus and the woman is not private. See, Jesus wouldn't let it remain a case of one person in a crowd receiving God's blessing and it remaining a secret. Jesus kind of calls this woman out in front of everyone to say, hey, tell the crowd what God has done in your life. And there before the crowd, Jesus affirms her faith and blesses her. Normally we have like fill-in-the-blank note sheets down. This morning I didn't want to do that because I wanted you to be able to just to be in the story and not worry about writing things down. But if there's one thing you wanted to write down or walk away with, it's this. That faith is indeed personal, but it is certainly not private. Faith is indeed personal, but it's certainly not private. That's why Jesus commands us to believe and be baptized in front of everyone to get soaking wet. That's why Jesus commands us to tell the crowds what God has done in our life. To share your story on video or in person. To be open. See, this morning, wherever you are, I want to encourage you to reach out to Jesus in faith, as this woman did. So the power of God might be unleashed in your life. Wherever you are, whatever you've done, Jesus welcomes you to reach out in faith believing that he is Messiah, that he has healing in his wings. Follow the example of Jairus, the little girl's father. Run to Jesus, cast yourself at his feet, and invite him into your home and into your family. Invite him to take care of your kids. Invite him into your family. Respond with faith, not fear, when it comes to your kids. And if our faith is in Jesus, then one day we will resurrect from death and sin and suffering and sickness will be no more. We'll be forgiven and cleansed. We will see Jesus' face. We will hear Jesus' voice, feel Jesus' touch, and we'll sit down and feast with him. I want to invite you to stand. We're going to wrap up our morning just a little bit different than we normally do.